but we just know he's not going to like we you see how he's living in michigan where you could literally he could do whatever he wants coach six games this year take the rest of the games off get paid to take them off and um you know get paid more to do it the next year and still maybe get a chance to win a championship so i can and argue should be beloved <laughs> yeah and, and they love him the there. victim and no one's calling for him to resign no one's he, trying to kick him out no he's he, beloved in michigan they love it because that's winning. not gonna change uh, he's the uh, the only unless the the NCAA report that we get four or five years from now on this whole Michigan thing, unless it contains some level of scandal way beyond like the you know realm of football, I don't see you know yeah I like I don't see them turning on him as long as they're winning, and he has the maybe the best job <clears throat> in college football right now given all those circumstances and all those factors. You could argue that no one, no one has it better than Jim Harbaugh. Who's got it better than me? Who, who, nobody. <laughs> no, nobody. College Football Podcast. How do your Saturdays feel? Heisman, yo, 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 yo. Heisman edition. Uh, F- FCS championship edition. Um, but we're going to probably start with probably Heisman. I feel like that's that's only right. Maybe Heisman, maybe coach talk. I feel like the Heisman could maybe be the headline, so we'll tease that a little bit. But um. We talked about this week was really like FCS game wise, FCS championship games, Friday, Saturday, um, a couple of really fun games that we'll talk about. I don't know how many of those that you got to catch. If you even caught just a little bit of some, some fun games there. And then uh, definitely had some news on the coaching front that I wanted to react to portal news, just some big picture stuff. This will be probably a shorter episode this week. But we'll have some fun topics to hit. So uh, I first want to start with, let's see. Let's start with, I want to start with Michigan, Harborough. Uh, it's it's, conf- it's contract extension season talk for one Harborough. Um, this is the time of year every year where he just flirts with NFL teams. Just so mm-hmm. Michigan, so Michigan has to boost his uh, pay grade. So true to form, he's doing that. Um, you know, cheating be damned. No, you know, obviously Michigan don't really care as long as you're winning. Um, so I just find that funny to know that just like every year, like clockwork, he's gonna be mentioned for one of these opening NFL jobs, and all that just means is the Michigan collectives like, all right, guys, everybody get your paychecks out. Jim wants more money. And he'll get it every time. As long as they're winning, he's going to get it every time. And so congrats to him and congrats to his agent for exploiting the system. I don't even know if they're begrudging. They seem to be happy to pay him Yeah, every time they have an opportunity to. He hasn't even tried to – have you tried not – like he, he, he just knows like the NFL flirtation route will get him 
the contract he needs, but I don't even know if he even has to do that anymore. To your point, they might just do it anyway, especially, you know, you keep getting the playoffs and winning games. They were going to maybe do it anyway. So I think he, uh, he's just, he's a creature of habit. He only knows one way. So he's going to just start flirting, um, you know, start flirting with NFL teams regardless. Uh, I, from a rooting standpoint, I just don't want him to go to the Raiders. Other than that, I, I don't, you know, as a Raider fan, other than that, I don't really care. Uh, but we just know he's not going to, like, we, you see how he's living in Michigan, where you could literally, he could do whatever he wants, coach six games this year, take the rest of the games off, get paid to take them off, and, um, you know, get paid more to do it the next year and still maybe get a chance to win a championship. So I can and argue. be beloved. <laughs> yeah, and, and they love him the there. victim and no one's calling for him to resign. No one's he, trying to kick him out. No, he's he, beloved in Michigan. They love it because he's and that's winning. that's not going to change. Uh, he's the, uh, the only, unless the, the NCAA report that we get four or five years from now, on this whole Michigan thing, unless it contains some level of scandal way beyond like the, you know, realm of football. I don't see, you know, yeah. I like, I don't see them turning on him as long as they're winning. And he has the, maybe the best job in college football right now, given all those circumstances and all those factors, you could argue that no one, no one has it better than Jim Harbaugh. Who's got it better than me? Who, who, nobody. No, nobody. So yeah, they've had multiple scandals the past few years. I think if scandals were going to do it, men they would have already. There's been enough. You know, you talk about NCAA's harshest penalty for lack of institutional control. I think there's enough that you could say that that's going on there. But you know, yeah, he's been relatively unscathed. So yep. I think he's safe. Yeah, not just unscathed, potentially rewarded, like we talked about this year with the number one seed. Uh, It's seemingly everything you've got and everything. So no one's got it better than than quote unquote the number one team in the country. Correct. No one. Here we are. As I thought about that some more, not to get too into the playoffs, but I will. It's a perfect transition because I am going to talk about Florida State briefly. What I really realized is, you know, my biggest beef, my biggest beef is I'm cool with like, trying to pick who's going to give us the four most entertaining games. Like I'm totally down for doing that, but I just don't like who we have then put in charge of doing that. That, which is how, you know, how we arrive at Michigan being number one, a Georgia being left out, a Florida state being unconsidered. Like that's how we arrive at that because the committee that we've chosen to give us the four best matchups or who we choose to guess who's going to be the four best matchups I don't really like those people as the people who pick. Uh, I would at least give me like some ex players, a couple junky, you know, bookie, bookie, uh, gambleholic type watchers, uh, a couple TV people. Like at least give me people that I would better trust picking who the best four teams are. Cause then I realized that's really more my beef. Like who says these 13 people know? Clearly they don't. Yeah. But anyway, that was just my transition to get to a sentence I'm going to say once and probably never again, which is, I stand with Ron DeSantis. Florida State was wronged. <laughs> but, but where we completely diverge, which is almost everywhere else in life, with that sentence was when he says, and don't worry, a million of your tax dollars have been set aside to fight for any potential litigation to get them to the playoff. 
And I heard that room of people be like, uh, yay, yay, wait a minute now. There's an extra million dollars, and that's what it's for when, uh, you know, anyone who's following current world or, you know, national affairs, Florida could certainly use a million dollars in other places, not for the litigation or, uh, you know, of their football team being being left out of the college football playoffs. But I love the just explicit grab for votes. Yeah, just just let me like, just what? let me just pander. Let me just like, explicitly what? pander. It's like what had happened? Fan the the aide, yeah, the aide that ran into his office with like, oh, this is perfect. He's gonna love this. This is this is absolute gold. We can just run into the breach of this team was wronged, and everyone in our you know area is going to get behind that until you do the quiet part out loud, which is tell them, and I will use some of your money to help fight. To see that this is overturned, um, that was just like a little too comical and true for me to to realize. Yeah, he's not lying. They they probably do have state legislative money that they could just spend on stuff like that, but not on the stuff that matters. Um, I have another story regarding people stealing money, but I want to wait for Nate because it involves the Jaguars. I'm just going to say it as a headline. There was a oh Jag- there was a Jaguar staffer who got away with uh, for a while at least eventually it was caught, but he uh, stole twenty two million dollars in VCCs, which you know vir- the virtual credits the teams have for expenses of real things. So this is a guy who was obviously in charge of the books and in charge of the money, and he was just you know running double and triple of whatever the actual thing so like if they had a catering event that was times two or if they had hotel stays for the team that was times two you know he was just doubling a 22 million dollar hole for and it was gambling so he's not out here just like living a ball in life and like doing doing well by himself he was 22 million dollars in the hole in gambling debts meaning he was taking this money and placing bets in his name on sites with emails it's just wild how many people keep doing this was he also betting on football games yeah he was betting on football games he was betting on professional and college football games and like the wild thing is you are an insider with all types of access and you are doing horribly horribly 22 million dollars in losses like at least do well he was doing awful so that to to think every time like okay i just gotta like steal a little bit more money and just hit one of these bets and I'll be able to pay it all back. That was his plan. And it's just wild to me. It's not surprising that it's the Jags, but it's just wild to me that that person has been in charge of, you know, the Khan family, Tony Khan and them. That's a very rich, wealthy family who, you know, running their football team's money to the tune of thinking like, you know, I'm going to just hit a $22 million parlay one of these days. Don't worry is wild. So I, I will I, I can't wait to talk to Nate about that. I, there's more to the story. Um, but that's just insane. It's just incompetence. Like and I'm frustrated by this story because I do some of this for a living. Like organizations need checks and balances. Yeah. The same person can't both ask for an allocation and sign off on it and make the final approval. <laughs> How does nobody catch that? That's what I'm That's like, insane. yo, they have so much money. Hey, for, that, years. For, tw- for years. For years. For years that that much money went missing. And no one up top was like, hey, you know what? What's why is this costing so much? Where's my like that's how much money that I guess the cons could funnel in or 
However, this man was a, a, I guess he was a brilliant, you know, book maneuver and, and, and manipulator. Certainly not a common sense guy thinking that the gambling route was like at a certain point, like, yo, put some of that money in like a stock, get, do something more secure where you actually he might be able be to that pay brilliant. it back. Cause what he did was like brazen and yeah. didn't seem like he covered his tracks very well either. The fact that there's just so much of a paper trail. Just no, no one will check in. So I guess that just means no one checks. And what's $22 million to the Khan family, which must be nice, I guess. But yeah, that story to me was just like, that's insane. That's a, that is an eye popping figure. I get that it's a billion dollar industry, but these teams still have operations day to day, month to month. And like you would think owners and you know, COOs and these people like have to see these things. But um, like you said, if the guy whose job was to do all that was the guy who was gambling and got in the gambling hole, like, who's he going to tell? He's not going to stitch on himself, clearly. So that story was wild. Yeah, I was baffled by the amount. I think I was just as baffled by the length of time this went on. Yeah. This means, like, year over year, you're also not doing any kind of reconciliation process. There's no auditing process. Like, they're just letting it roll over. And And it's just hard, hard to believe. And this guy's inability to hit a bet is insane. Also, it's like just the <laughs> odds. The odds are in your favor that eventually you'll just get lucky and accidentally win one. So the fact that he just never got anywhere close, it just kept getting a deeper and deeper hole, is almost yeah. That's gambling hell. That's the most perfect picture to paint of kids. Never think the way to put like get some money back is to go play the numbers. It'll never happen for you. All right, um, let's get coaching, and then we'll go Heisman, and then we'll get to some games. Um, you want to go Dion first because we've had some developments in the Dion news, or do you want to talk, which I find more interesting, the Manny Diaz to Duke hire, and I'll tell you why that mm-hmm. one I find more interesting. What do yep. you want to start with? I think, well, for me, Dion is quick, and it's the Christmas has to be – the praises be as loud as the criticism. Mm-hmm. Dion landed a five star. Um, yes, five star. And that's something to be commended. Five star left tackle, which is very important. Position of need, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, do I believe he's still not asleep at the wheel of recruiting? No, <laughs> but there's a, there's a sign that there's some there is some life here. Yeah. And so yeah, shout out to Dion and Colorado staff yeah. making that happen. It's a big um, big coup. And for additional additional context, five star recruit number uh, four, I think overall, like top a top ten overall recruit, number one lineman, tackle position of need, and also it's a difference via, maker. Yeah, and via the transfer portal has acquired you know five new what he hopes to be starting linemen. Now let's I'm not I don't have enough time studying the line, individual line play of some of those players but i saw the teams that they are coming from and in no way outside of the five-star tackle that they're signing and i'll go look at it again but in no way is this like it's it's a new line which Dion said he was going to get a new line now the implied part of the new was that it was going to be better i cannot say whether this line is better obviously a five-star tackle talent level is something that they did not have last year. So from that standpoint, you would have to think so. But the transfer portal aspect of it, I would, again, just say wait and see because chemistry 
and time together is important. Mm-hmm. So it is. It's mm-hmm. very. It's very good that they're getting them now, and you will essentially have a spring ball season and training camp to build that with everyone getting you know on campus. That is assuming the five star. If he enrolls early, he could be there for spring ball. If not, he doesn't get there till the summer. Um, I'm not as up on where he's at in terms of that course, but. That's just the important part. So getting the talent or get you know, hitting the portal and getting new guys, good. He did that. Um, one of the portals is from Jackson. You know, one of the players is from Jackson State. This is no knock. But if we're just talking about the, the sheer size difference here, you can't tell me that you went to Jackson State and got somebody that's supposed to make me feel better about how much smaller Colorado's line looked on the field than these other Big 12 programs. So that we will see with, but like you said, the, the, we have to give him the praise for signing a five-star tackle, best tackle in the country, to Colorado to go play. Yeah, everybody wanted Alabama, yes. Georgia. Like Correct. Is, That's important to say, too. He recruit. Yeah, he took him, you know, the, the recruit essentially committed to. Him, I think, right? Yeah, it was essentially a soft, a soft flip, a, a, a soft, I think he was a soft commitment to Alabama, if I'm not mistaken, but was certainly considering Bama, Ohio State, Oregon, and um, one other of those power type schools. So yeah, to your point, this is somebody that was highly coveted and is choosing Colorado in a world where that has not otherwise happened in quite some time. So we have to give it up for that. <clears throat> that is the part that we question, could he do so far? yes to an extent now we got to see what that looks like when they're on the field but and like you said the rest of this recruiting game do I still feel like he kind of lacks behind what these other coaches and programs are over there doing Uh, yes I do think that but we got to give him the credit for what he has done so far yeah so because he is I mean alongside that news I saw that he's still he's still losing coaches and he's still losing players on his current roster yeah. Now we there is a an element before we get to the Miami and the their hire. There's an element of this transfer portal stuff where you got what four thousand players, something crazy. It's it's like thirty eight percent of football is going to hit the portal, and it's because essentially what we have now is a college football free agency system. That's that is what we are closely or closer and closer to essentially having here, which is why. These NCAA lawsuits that the NCAA is going to hit with another one for antitrust violations. So that I think makes three or four lawsuits that they're currently fighting, all of which the theme of is these are employees. These are people that need to be paid by the universities. These NIL collectives are workarounds that y'all came up with. Stop the stop the BS. That's essentially what the tone of all these lawsuits are. So the portal, we do have to say a lot of coaches are going to lose players at a higher rate. Like Alabama's losing players, like every every school is losing players at a rate that we've probably never seen before. But for a program like Colorado, what Dion's trying to do when you're trying to build something up, we do have to pay attention to if every year uh, a part of that nucleus or culture is leaving, how you know how sustainable is it? Can you really build something in that way? That's all we're I feel like saying with that one. Yeah, I don't know if he's also saying this in Justin. We got to move on to Manny Diaz. The thing that concerns me about Dion is that the way that he does talk about culture, because he makes it seem like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that you can just need to to put in talented folks in a room and we can just make it happen. And I think that flies in the face of everything we know about teams, everything we know about organizations. Like that's that's not how that works. 
But yeah. So I, for yeah. him to not seem to care at all about continuity, at least in what his public comments are, is concerning. It makes me think he again he doesn't doesn't quite get what the job is. Yeah, the 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 revolving door nature of I'll just if the if you're not the right people get out I'll get the, I'll get the right person seemingly being the culture or that that means that he is the culture and just once you're there you'll get it so so to speak so yeah mm-hmm. it's it is it it is it's polarizing and interesting for all those reasons which is why people need to get over you know. He's the the sportsman of the year, and he's got a prime documentary, and and everyone keeps pointing to, but they they didn't win, they didn't win, they didn't win, and I guess what we were saying from the beginning of this whole thing was at least what I know you and I were was that 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 wasn't entirely the point. Like the the point was to look at what Colorado is now simply by his presence being there. Look at how transformative. Yep that is if he brings winning and is that that's like that's a monster we've never seen before but it was just by his mere presence that you had college game day four weeks in a row the fox show Mm -hmm. all that like that first month when they were winning games was all about them and like that it was more uh uh just a cultural phenomenon that we're getting to watch so this is you know the second chapter of it and this is how it's starting with higher expectations, better, you know, a, a higher level of recruits possibly in the door. So it's going to be, you know, fun to see how that one evolves. We'll get back to, to Dion, I'm sure this summer he's going to give us a lot to talk about in the off season. That's also why I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to what we get from Dion. Keep um, it up, prom. Yeah, want to see it. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, Manny Diaz. I want to talk about Manny Diaz and that hired to Duke. I find it extremely interesting for a lot of reasons um i manny diaz the the first thing i thought of when i saw this hire and then i want to hear kind of get get your take because the first thing i thought of was i think manny diaz is going to have as much if not more success with duke than he had at miami he will be paid way less to do so meanwhile miami who moved on from him now two coaches ago Right, because it was, or was he the last coach before Cristobal? Maybe he was the last coach, so he was the last coach before Cristobal. So they moved on from him because they aspire to be a thing that existed in the ninety, in the eighties, early nineties, and in the two thousands. Right, they still are kind of hopped up on that, on being that, on wanting to be just the most dominant program that there ever was. Right, again, Manny Diaz wasn't that. They moved on to pay Mario Cristobal a whole lot of money to do Manny Diaz or worse, you could argue, uh, so far. And I feel like when they look across the ACC aisle and see Duke having more success, winning more conference games, having higher expectations, being ranked, playing in games where college game day showing up, Duke football, and there's other schools doing this too. I feel like it has any players to the league. It has to drive a Miami fan old enough to remember those glory days insane to look and see that they are about to hire Manny Diaz, the guy who apparently y'all were too good for and couldn't get it done there and didn't live up to the expectations there. They're going to hire him. He is going to beat Miami like several times, I'm sure, at Duke while he makes their program 
the same eight and five or seven and whatever that Miami's going to go every year under crystal ball, because I just don't think Mario crystal ball is a good coach, but they're paying him like he's the best coach in the game or up on that commiserate level. And it's the perfect example of these schools just negotiating against themselves, having expectations based on what really and that that was nostalgia the, the nostalgia in this case right and that was in, in like a texas a&m's case it's based on one year where you were almost championship good yeah like yeah. It's just some of these schools get hopped up on some of these things but that was i could not help but think that exact kind of full circle moment for a coach and a program and kind of two programs that are at this crossroad of the sport and you know one has no future uh, I mean, it has no history of football greatness, but that doesn't matter because right now they're the better program and the other has all the glory in their past. But if you look at how they're operating, should have no higher expectations than Duke or UNC's football program, right? And that is just kind of interesting. Having been old enough to remember when Miami is good, this to me is a, a really full circle moment in just the sport. Yeah, and that, I think, gets to what we were talking about a few weeks ago, which is around the importance of alignment and continuity between alumni association, boosters, NIL providers, and athletic department, and then the head coach, for that matter. Because mm -hmm. you have to be on the same page. So if yeah. I'm Texas A&M, for example, you have to start with a goal that is both ambitious and achievable. They come in and talk about national championships – their goal should be, let's get to Atlanta. That's it. Right. Let's get to Atlanta. Because I don't, don't remember when the last time Texas A&M, if ever, have been to the C championship game. But that's not, like a, not a given. And one necessitates the other. Mm -hmm. So they keep wanting to skip and say, we should compete for national championships. You can compete with your division burst. Yeah. You're not doing that right now. So I think if everyone gets on the same page about that, then we can hire the right coach with the right expectations have the right level of urgency. But otherwise, some folks are trying to give someone a chance. Other folks are too patient. And what you have is just a mess. And that's mm -hmm. what a lot of these programs are, just a mess as far as how this is being managed. Yeah, and I think you want, I, in terms of being on the same page, for a school like Duke, it's clear. I mean, okay, Mike Elko was a defensive coordinator hire that worked out. Manny Diaz, defensive coordinator, defensive-minded coach. Like, it was kind of clear. They're like, all right, who was in a similar vein of who we just had that worked out that, you know, moved on to, quote-unquote, greener pastures? Um, let's kind of keep an identity. So far, the Duke identity, while they've been good at football, has been, again, I know this is shocking to hear me say, has been elite defensive line play and upfront play in, in the ACC. Like, just sending defensive style players up front and you know capable offense riley leonard as you know athletic quarterback usually athletic or de smart decision-making quarterbacks but that just seems like a program okay we know what we are we know like we, we want to make bowl games we want to maybe contend for you know like you said contend for our conferences championship which i think was something realistic for Duke team this year. If you look at Louisville getting to that level, if you look at, you know, 
uh, UNC starting the season ranked some of these teams um they they are realistic about where they're at what they can be and you know I think Duke now um in the transfer portal era if you can put together a team that's known to have a good defense and just kind of needs a quarterback you could you could attract some of these quarterbacks from these other schools looking to play um while Duke keeps losing their quarterbacks to um you know other schools Duke is now the, the school that their their peoples are leaving to go play elsewhere but I um I I agree like just the mm-hmm. continuity is big some of the, the the Miami collective was all on the same page in hiring Mario Cristobal because of his ability <clears throat> to recruit and bring in these high highly rated classes and then that goes back to the conversation that we have all the time about okay like I will definitely take a coach who's good at getting talent in the building over the one that isn't but with recruiting all that talent like we say at a Texas A&M or at a Miami recruiting all that talent but not seeing the production of it on the field or at least talent in terms of internet online preseason the composite rankings of these recruits but not seeing it come to fruition on the field is the sin of a lot of these coaches like a lot of coaches are expert recruiters but don't seem to have some of the other traits that you would want in a you know ideal head coach um which is my thing with crystal ball right so i think i think maybe that's Diaz, fine if that's what you want <laughs> if you want a coach that can recruit he's recruiting hey crystal gets an a yeah he's doing what you hired him to do yeah and but if you want someone that's going to get <laughs> everything out of a roster i don't know that that's him that's never been him you should have hired somebody else if you hire someone that you know, like back in the day, like Brett Bielema, mm-hmm. who was going to take a team of two and three stars and compete in the Big Ten every year right. because he got everything from every player on that team. Then great. But that's a different profile of a coach. Yeah, I think <laughs> I I think that was maybe the, the Miami thought was like, we got to get on. We got to get players that go pro again and get like to that step one. And and I feel like what's going to happen is there. It, it, that means it. That means Cristobal's not the coach. It means that maybe he is the step to get to the coach um, in a way that you know. I don't like Sarkeesian at Texas. It seems to be working out, mm-hmm. but. There had to be this process of in between the Mac Brown era and, you know, Sarkeesian going through what he went through, leaving Washington and, go, you know, having that and USC. Whole, and USC. Um, and then going, you know, going to Bama. And, but him going through what he went through and then I think getting back to Texas. Meanwhile, the Texas went through a number of coaches. Wasn't Manny Diaz at Texas also? I think he was a coordinator there, yeah. Yeah, right. Wasn't he a coordinator? As far as so head like coaches they had Tom Herman, they had Charlie Strong. Yep. So like in between that, there were these other coaches that were I don't want to like it was kind of just a progression or steps to getting Texas back to a place to where now once they hired Steve Sarkeesian, what he was tasked with doing might not have been as 
you know, as big of an ask as it would have been had he had taken it prior to kind of when that that down period and that struggle period happened. All right. So I guess, you know, all of that to say the the coaches carousel thing. I feel like it's more prevalent now than ever with coaches kind of just making moves where it's harder to tell now what is a lateral move versus what is an upgrade versus what's actually maybe a downgrade. Um, because unless you're really, really tapped in and I you know, try to find as much information and reporting as I can on these collectives and who the kind of the decision makers at some of these schools are, but um, it's hard to tell whether somebody like um, what's his name, Jonathan Smith, who went from an Oregon state to a Michigan state. I don't know what's better. I, I know that he's mm-hmm. had some success at Oregon state, but obviously them not having a conference future leaves some, you know, that's the other side of this business that we have to talk about, but also Michigan is, you know, very well funded, very well profitable, you know, good, good supportive program, but obviously you got Michigan there, you got Ohio state there. Um, so, you know, and all these other schools that are coming in and, and the conference is expanding. Right. Yeah. And, exp- yeah. and expansion with that conference. So like, is that, is that job, is he going to find it better there or five, six years from now, will we be looking at him as like, you know, you could have went, te- you know, <clears throat> stayed at Oregon state one between eight and 10 games for the next five years. And that would have been a better job than, going to Michigan State and maybe never achieving that level of success or doing that at Michigan State, right? Eight wins every year, but maybe they don't – that's not enough for them in that same way. So, Coach of Carousel, you can only – it's hard to assess in the moment. So, sometimes, you know, other times it's like we got to see. I, I don't I don't know. Other jobs you have a feeling like, oh, I think so-and-so – like I don't, I I don't know about um, you know, Signietti leaving James Madison to go to Indiana. I don't know that that's a better. I don't I don't know about that, right? Like I I just me from my standpoint, I'm like I wouldn't do that. Like I just I know it's bigger. There's maybe more money. Big Ten, I get it. Um, but is that is that better? Like I sometimes is there value to being at like a startup? a small startup before it has this explosion that a JMU or some of these programs could have, like, isn't that better? But I, you know, I don't want to get too hung up on, on that, but that's just, I mean, back to expectations though. You got also somebody like, uh, I don't think we talked about him yet. Dave Arnada at Baylor. Yeah. He walked into a pretty good situation. Mm-hmm. Baylor hasn't won much, but he's been able to talk the powers that be into giving himself more time. Right. So Baylor takes us a lot of money. Baylor has a lot of money. And as long as you can ensure that you know how to do well there and what they expect from you and can do that, that can endure some mediocrity. Yeah. Uh, there's some, there's definitely like a value to that, to a place that will allow you to get your footing. Um, and we talked about that in terms of if you're going to hire a program builder, you have to allow them time to build the program. Right. So um, I did want to know one last coaching, coaching note. We'll talk coaching plenty. Uh, Grambling fired Hugh Jackson, which, yeah, you know, I feel like it's 
Hugh Jackson's a hard guy to go to bat for. His coaching record is bad everywhere he goes. Like it, it's just numerically, it is not good. So he's a hard person to be like that. Hey, you know what? Hugh Jackson should have got should have shouldn't have got fired there. Should have got another chance. But I just do feel like he's if, a better with quarterback development, but not as a head coach. Yeah. Um I yeah, I just feel like this was kind of the last chance for him to have some level of success. And he was eight and fourteen in two seasons. He was a little bit better this year than last year. I would just ask, is two seasons like that's it? I, I just I, I I would I would just I'm I just found the two seasons part of it like all right. Like, <clears throat> I you could very well make a hire right away that would be better um and would lead to more winning. But it just it just seems like hey you know, and I, I I don't know Grambling's record in recent seasons, but is is there is there pressure in a in a way that like after two years if it doesn't work at Grambling get out is that really where we're at with with some of these like programs? It's tough because you know football and I guess for the listeners who may not know. You have to let coaches, in my opinion, you let coaches go through a few full recruiting cycles to get their people in. Mm-hmm. Most players, after two years, they're going to be redshirt freshmen. So it's hard to actually see the impact of a coach um, as far as roster construction after two years. So it seems it does seem like it's too fast to get someone to hook after two years, unless, of course, you owe them 14, which they weren't. Right. Yeah. That's it just – the two years part, I I couldn't, you know, I got, I knew his record before wasn't great. I knew they weren't going crazy this year, but two years was just pretty, pretty shocking. So quick hook. Yeah. Let's get to, let's I get to the game. Yeah. I mean, we'll see who they go to next. Right. Uh, but that just is like, that could have worked, but I guess not. I get in it. And again, maybe he's a quarterback guy. And not a head coach. Um, we've maybe seen that enough evidence that he's good at, at one without being good enough at the other. Uh, all right, let's let's quick game, quick game segment, and then we'll wrap. We had the FCF's playoffs: Furman versus Montana. That was a Friday night game. Um, the BYOB approach of Montana. It was freezing. All these games were freezing places, as it would have Montana. A couple South Dakota locations, or a couple, to, yeah, both were actually it was South Dakota State and South Dakota, and then Idaho. It would have been cold, but that building's indoors. But um, freezing game. They have a BYOB approach out there in Montana, where at halftime everyone runs out to the parking lot or to their cars and lubricates up, as they say, gets gets some liquid in them, warms up, and uh, they. So when the second half kicks off, the stadium is basically empty. And you see them just come rushing back in. So it creates a momentum building environment as the third quarter progresses. But it was an interesting, you know, obviously most major stadiums are not allowing you to leave and come back. So, but that was kind of their thing. So that was cool. The game itself was great. Junior Bergen uh, had a kick return, opening kickoff for the touchdown, and then a fourth quarter punt return that won the game for Montana. Uh, Montana's my pick to go all the way this year from what I've seen the the few sometimes I'll catch their late night games on ESPN plus and they uh they've been a fun team so they moved on South Dakota State 
beat uh forget who they played but they won their game they had a heated cargo container because again the cold so like a pods like imagine a pod shipping container that when one unit was going off the field they would go into the cargo container to stay warm because heaters on the sideline just weren't cutting it so it was that level cold out there so we had south dakota state get the victory i feel like i should have written down uh they beat um north no north sorry north dakota beat south dakota yeah north dakota beat south dakota south dakota state i forget who they beat Idaho, Albany, we had a indoor game, one of the few college stadiums that is indoor. Idaho, not that in our lifetime, was a D1 program when there was like the Big West or the the PAC, the WAC, the WAC conference. They used to be in the WAC conference, the Western. Shout out to the Vandals. Yeah. And that's also a wild mascot name, just the Vandals. Um, Another mascot that is just, I believe, a white guy up to no good. But that indoor stadium, is one of the more unique stadiums that there is. Uh, they got the win, so the Vandals beat Albany. Albany was an up, you know, up underdog kind of team on the road. Uh, Brevin Easton was the wide receiver for Idaho that had himself, or actually for Albany. I, I am so bad about writing down who won these games. I'm gonna be honest, guys. I was lazy about the notes this week, so I feel like Idaho won at home. But this guy, Brevin Austin for Albany, um, nine catches, 225 yards, two touchdowns. He had a hell of a hell of a hell of a day. Um, and then of course the Army Navy game. Thank you for your service game. It was in Boston. I said it was gonna be in Philly last week because it's almost always in Philly. It's been there like 30-something times. This one year is very specifically in Boston. Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, Patriots, uh, kind of played hosts. It was a good, good matchup. Army won. Army won the Commander in Chief Trophy. I found out if Navy would have won because it was a three-way tie, it just stays with the winner from the previous year. So I think the Air Force would have just held on to it because they won it last year. So that would have been a funny outcome. But Army wins it outright with the victory. Uh, the Navy helmets, super dope. They had some submarine underwater graphic art on their helmets. Uh, that game was color pop game of the week for sure. Beautiful scene, beautiful game. And let's end quick on Heisman. You got four, a couple of minutes for the Heisman? Do it. All right. They got it right. Um, I Once I saw the odds kind of beforehand, it was obvious that Jaden Daniels was going to win. But I think that's what, and I texted you this, I think the problem that everybody had this year wasn't so much that Jaden Daniels wasn't deserving, more so that they wanted to be swept up in a race and what confirmed that to me was the documentary that ESPN ran immediately after the Heisman of one of the most dramatic week by week, epic Heisman races that we've ever seen with names that are insane. Peyton Manning, Randy Moss, Ryan Leaf, and Charles Woodson were all in the same Heisman race one year with incredible storylines for all four. So I feel like our, we people today were just not happy that there wasn't enough drama and that there wasn't that level of week by week race. And if it wasn't for Jaden Daniels, maybe it would have been. You would have had Penix and Knicks literally face off at the end of the season. That would have been very dramatic. 
you might have had, you know, uh, obviously Harrison, Marvin Harrison was one candidate. You could have had him. Potentially you have maybe as badly as they wanted to do it. Maybe they make J.J. McCarthy or someone from Michigan a Heisman candidate. You could have had that storyline with the Ohio State-Michigan game. Um, maybe Jordan Travis would have been in, in the running before injury. Just, But it just wasn't one of those years. Like It was just a year where one player had a historically great season and deserved to be recognized for it and should not have been held. Uh, it should not have been held against him that his team didn't make it so that there were enough big games or Heisman moments. Because again, we've seen that Tim Tebow year, that Johnny Manziel year, the Lamar Jackson year, those teams didn't have those things either. And But the individual seasons should live on. So I was happy that they got it right. It was the four most deserving people. The most deserving guy won. Penix won the Maxwell, which she's very deserving of that, which is kind of how that should go, right? Belitnikov went to Marvin Harrison. Like, I th- feel like everybody won the stuff that they were supposed to win. And just because we want drama, like, we got drama in the college football playoffs already. Can we give the guy who deserves something the thing he deserves this time and not have any drama about it? And I was okay with that. And let's, for good measure, fly Jordan Travis in at number five. So he's high enough to recognize, but not so high that he gets invited to New York. Yeah, that was to justify because they essentially uh, similar powers that be have already told us that Jordan Travis is so good that when he gets hurt, his undefeated team stinks now. So they had to justify that somehow. So making him a very high 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 finalist is kind of their way of saying, see, this guy's so good that when you lose him, you just couldn't justify putting that team in a playoff. And I feel like you and I talked about it. Statistically, Jordan Travis didn't really have the case that those other guys had. So unless they were just going to do starter for the best, you know, for a high-ranked team narrative, like with the J.J. McCarthy or with the uh, – who else did they try and do that with? Um, I mean, even the 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 Jalen Milrow talk, him being a top-10 finisher, that, that's no knock, but – if you want to talk about an unmemorable Heisman season or a guy not deserving, if 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 y'all are cool with a guy who was benched for a game winning a Heisman, that's a new precedent. Like that's an unprecedented level of of the Heisman story that this man didn't even start a game, whether he should or shouldn't have, is at the point. There's no Heisman in the previous era or ever, I don't think, who was just benched for a game because the team thought the other guy might be a better option. So this was, again, sorry there wasn't the drama this year for the race and all that, but it was just kind of clear since week six or seven who was the most deserving of the award by the strict definition of the award, and they just went with that. Yeah, I I will say that Jane Daniel was definitely deserving. Like, he... Like you said, he had a phenomenal season. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And, um, yeah, put up video game numbers for a team that, without his efforts, probably wouldn't be eligible. So, job to him. He earned it. Yeah, and we need to stop making it seem like LSU was a bad team as opposed to a flawed team because, at the end of the day, they finished in the top 25. Um, and they are, yeah, their defense – 
needed help at times. The run game inconsistent outside of him, like the ability to run the ball that isn't a Jaden Daniel scramble. There's plenty of flaws. There's a bunch of flawed college football teams. Obviously, I was I as I looked over the bowl schedule, kind of prepping for all that, seeing a lot of teams with five, six, and seven wins in the win column. So there's a bunch of flawed college teams out there. So I just feel like the narrative got a little carried away with LSU being this terrible team, number one. Number two, with him being just some empty, hollow stats guy, as opposed to if you watch those games, LSU at one point or another in second halves of all those games has chances to win solely because of him. And then, like you said, Malik Neighbors, and I forget the other receiver, but they have playmakers out outside, but he has to get them the ball. So, I'm, you know, it's not him alone, but it's about as one man showy as it could get. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm glad they got the award right this year. And if we're playing the this doesn't tell the the the, the correct story of this college football season. If you're talking about teams, fine. I hear you. LSU is not going to be very memorable in this year's season but his individual performance should be and if you go back and look at all the Heisman winners there are a bunch of people who we we don't ever think about no more when we think about college football I'm just gonna be honest like yes they won a Heisman but we tell the story of college football plenty without some of these old ass names so I just it, it, it was a weird year for people to get uh up in arms about it and I feel like people went too far down the conspiracy road with the SEC and ESPN's allegiance to the SEC on the award show that they're airing. Um, they already feel like the SEC team got in over FSU. And to an extent, okay, I hear you on that for business-wise. But the Heisman, I, I feel like we have to admit it's lost some luster. So I don't think that their goal was let's give it to a team that no one a, a quarterback on a team that no one really paid attention to this year because that'll be good for business. I think this year just straight up went to the right guy. Back, back. All right, we usually end with previews. I mean, the game of the week for me it was the Montana and Furman game. That was the most exciting game that I saw. Um, we will do a preview of these bowl games via our bowl game draft later this week. Hope to do that in the next few days to get that to, you know, got to get it out there before this Saturday. We have to at least do the first round of, of games. Um, but I was looking, looking over all the games and teams, super excited about some of these matchups. Um, and it's going to be really hard to pick some of these games with the whole portal and, I don't know who's playing and who's not. Like, I'm trying to find access to who's still playing, who's not, who's sitting out, who's transferred, what coach is still there. Like, I'm I'm trying to get all that information when picking these teams, but it's a lot to track. As I said, 30-something percent of the athletes at the portal. So, um, got to just got to just see. Teams that were good all year this year might not be good in the bowl game because the players that made them good aren't playing in the bowl game. So, everyone just keep an eye out for that. Um, and we'll get back. A la in-season tournament, I would love for we start to yeah. figure out, all right, so how do we get players to play in this? Let's start paying for the winners. Because eventually, like, there's not really much incentive for the players to play in these games besides yeah. quote-unquote pride. Good call. And also, we can make that the non-college football moment of the week. 
the in-season tournament for finale, Lakers versus Pacers. Uh, this whole run for Tyrese Halliburton, who has been good for a while, but this is certainly this year has been his coming out party. And I think the whole world, or I guess more of a national audience is getting to see that, that he is a bona fide superstar. So this tournament was that for him. And then LeBron James gets to win another thing um, that didn't exist until this year. Now he's won it being a very good future league partner and future owner as well in his um, enthusiasm for winning. So this tournament was dope. The finale was great. The Vegas scene, those games, really fun. Also, the MLS Cup finished. Columbus crew took down LAFC, which Ohio, I don't know the next time you're going to get a championship in any other sport. Um, the the blue, the, 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 the hockey team out there is really bad. Ohio State, maybe they could get a national title. Uh, the Their baseball teams never see, I mean, you know, Reds, it's been a while. Guardians are okay, but nah. And then football-wise, they were close with Joe Burrow and the Super Bowl that year. Um, you know, their team's doing better. Cleveland might be closer to a Super Bowl right now as we speak, but you don't really see that happening necessarily. So enjoy the Columbus crew. Bring it home the MLS Cup. They won 2-0. Good game, good season for them. That's another benchmark that we've hit. First team all name. I don't have anything in front of me. I didn't hear anything over the weekend. I could pull one of these older names that I haven't hit us with, but I feel like we've hit enough benchmarks. We will get back with the uh, with the draft of these bowl games, bowl game draft, and we'll come back next week with we got just to preview it now. Ohio State, Georgia Southern. Give me the Sun Belt team there. Spoiler alert. Uh, give me FAMU in the Celebration Bowl. We're going to get Jacksonville State and Louisiana Monroe. I mean, not Monroe, uh, just Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. Again, probably go Sun Belt there. And uh, then we get Miami of Ohio, App State, and New Mexico State, Fresno State, and Boise State, UCLA. That's a lot of games. A lot of games this Saturday. So we're back. We're back. We got a slate. That should be fun. Full day of games. Bowl season is here. You got anything or let's wrap it? In some belt, we trust. In some belt, we trust. Spoiler alert for the draft. I feel like you you and I already know that we will be high on the Sun Belt Bowls. Nate, Nate will have to figure that, that out for himself. Um, but yeah, my draft board, I think I said that in week three that the Sun Belt was going to send more teams to the Bulls than any other conference. And then they went and sent all but two teams, I think we said. So shout out to you, Sun Belt. And Sun Belt, we trust. We'll talk to you all soon. Peace.